As we continue to worship, we do so through the reading of our scripture passage for today. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1 through 5, and then jumping over to chapter to verse 14 through 27. Hear these words. In the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem. Late one afternoon after his midday rest, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. As he looked out over the city, he noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. He sent someone to find out who she was, and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. When she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and gave it to Uriah to deliver. The letter instructed Joab, station Uriah on the front lines where the battle is fiercest. Then pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city wall where he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. And when the enemy's soldiers came out to this, of the city to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed along with several other Israeli, Israelite soldiers. Then Joab sent a battle report to David. He told his messenger, report all the news of the battle to the king. But he might get angry and ask, why did the troops go so close to the city? Didn't they know there would be shooting from the walls? Wasn't Amblick, son of Gideon, killed at Thebes by a woman who threw a, a millstone down on him from the wall? Why would you get so close to the wall? Then tell him Uriah the Hittite was killed too. So the messenger went to Jerusalem and gave a complete report to David. The enemy came out against us in the open fields, he said. And as we chased them back to the city gate, the archers on the wall shot arrows at us. Some of the king's men were killed, including Uriah the Hittite. Well, tell Joab not to be discouraged, David said. The sword devours th this one today and that one tomorrow. Fight harder next time and conquer the city. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. When the period of mourning was over, David sent for her and brought her to the palace, and she became one of his wives. <laughs> then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. It's the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for your love, for your grace, and your hope amongst us. 
Lord, as we enter into this time of deep discipleship, we ask for you to open our hearts, our minds, and our ears so that we may be attentive to you. Turn out the distraction of our day and our lives so that we may focus entirely upon your word speaking to us. Lord, may I become less so that you may become more in this moment. May the words of my mouth and meditation, my heart, be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Scripture is filled with stories and passages that are hard to hear. Stories that are there in the scriptures to remind us that life is not always cupcakes and rainbows. Life is filled with challenges, difficulties, and hardships as much as they are the good days. These stories are placed in scripture to remind us that life comes with challenges. That life comes with brokenness. Now, not everyone's life is easy. We need to hear the stories, for instance, later on in 2 Samuel, of the story of Tamar, to hear of those difficulties of life and even the call of how to respond to them. And yes, too, we need to sit and and wonder about this story of David. David, whose name means beautiful one. David, this king. David, this mighty warrior. David, who is the one God had just said a few verses and chapters earlier, are you the one with whom I can build my temple and create an everlasting kingdom? We need to sit with the hardness of this story of David and Bathsheba. And not to do so in the Hollywood romanticized version to make it seem like just the usual high school crush that played itself out for all of Israel to see. This is not Gregory Peck for highlights and Oscar nominations. This is a story of pain. This is a story of hurt. And it's a story of power and privilege and the abuse of such. And yet when we only see this story as a sexualized encounter of an affair or even perhaps a powerful rape, when we only deal with the story in a sexualized manner, we miss so much of what's taking place in this story. And perhaps even what God may be inviting us to hear as we, to, as we seek to wonder, what does it mean to be inclusive? What does it mean to make this world a better place for others? What does it mean to step beyond ourselves and make this world a better place. How might God be calling us 
to think about how we use power, privilege, status, and wealth. Let's get beyond just the the sexualized part of the story and get to the nitty-gritty and the details. For as the story begins, it's one of military battles. We are told at the very beginning of the story, it's time to go back to fighting. A new season of fighting has begun, and it's time for King David to lead his troops out into battle. This is unfamiliar territory for us because we're not used to seeing our political leaders or even our kings in modern parlance of going out to battle with their troops. We usually see presidents and kings greeting the military after the battle has been won or secured and taking accomplishments and victory for that. We're not used to, in context, the requirement of kings to leave the palace and join with the troops and even to be fighting alongside with them. That was the expectation for kings in the Middle East in David's time. You went and fought with your soldiers. You died with your soldiers. King David was expected to get off his throne and go to war. But King David decided a different path. He decided to stay home at the city of David in his palace. He decided to stay back. Perhaps he thought his troops could handle things without him. He had Joab, after all, who was his second in command, his right arm, his loyal, faithful lieutenant. Perhaps they didn't need King David just this one time. I'll see you at mid-season, perhaps. But perhaps even, too, maybe King David started to believe his own hype. Everything had been handed to him at this point. He defeated Saul. He defeated Goliath. He had won battle after battle after battle. Everything has been going his way. He had killed his tens of thousands to Saul's thousands. Maybe David started to believe his own press, his own hype, and said, I don't need to go. For whatever reason, David decided to stay back. And as he did, he looks out from his palace and sees what he wants. He sees a beautiful woman bathing. And it's at this point we start to get really good about visualizing and sexualizing the story. And we start to wonder, why would a woman be on top of her house bathing? And even if we are up to no good in our thoughts, we'll say, well, she was just asking for it. Without even thinking about the context of the day or even thinking about why would a woman be up in that kind of situation, vulnerable, 
on the top of her roof like that? Or even why could David see her? David's house is up top, looking down on everyone. Her home would have given, been built along the hillside. Easy to look down into someone's home when your house is looking on top of everybody. That gives an explanation of David. But what's going on with Bathsheba? This isn't just some beautiful romanticized story that some beautiful woman is just look, standing outside. Pay attention to what takes place a little bit later in the passage. We're told that Bathsheba had just finished her purification rites for her menstrual cycle. The purity laws of the time said that when you were going through your menstrual cycle, you were unclean for seven days as long as you were going through that. Anything you touched would become unclean. Anyone who touched you would be unclean. And for seven days, you would be unclean. And the only thing you would know to do to make sure that nothing else would be unclean in your house would be to go up top on your roof and take a purification bath so that nothing else would be unclean by that process. Outside, away from anything inside. She's going through life as what you would expect to do. She's just living life. And David looks in. He sees what he wants. And he acts. He acts out of his power. He acts out of his privilege. He acts out of his status. He acts out of his wealth. He wants what he wants. As I said, everything else has been given to him. Now he wants what he wants. And he wants this woman. And so he inquires about her. Who is she? The report comes back, well, that's Bathsheba. And it's not just Bathsheba. That's Uriah's wife. Now, that should have been enough for David to be alerted to the fact of what was going on. Uriah was one of his top lieutenants. We're told later on in 2 Samuel that David had about 33 men or so that were his mighty warriors, and Uriah was one of them. This was someone David could trust. This is someone that fought David's battles. This was someone David knew. He knew Bathsheba. But he wanted what he wanted. He acted out of his power, his privilege, his status, his wealth to get what he wanted. And so he sent for her. You can't say no to the king. You can't say no to the one in charge. 
She had no choice but to go in and say yes. So he takes what he wants. They have an affair. And he sends her on her way. Those with power, those with privilege, those with wealth, those with status, will stop at nothing to get what they want in this world. David's focus was on getting what he wanted because he thought the world owed him this. He's the king of Israel. He's got everything, but yet he wanted this because he thought his power, his privilege, his status, his wealth guaranteed for him that he could take whatever he wanted without any consequences. And often those of us who have power, who have privilege, who have status, who have wealth, live in this world as if we can get what we want, that we can take as we wish, that everyone else must do for me and give for me because I'm the one who has power. I'm the one who has wealth. I'm the one in charge. Those with power take without any concern for someone else. There are consequences for David's action. It leads to a pregnancy. David doesn't jump up and down and say, wow, I'm going to be a father. That's how I responded. David, on the other hand, goes, how can I clean this mess up? What can I do to get this taken care of? You see, those with power, those with status, those with wealth, those with privilege, when they're faced with the consequences of their actions, will do whatever they can to focus on their own needs to make the problem go away, to clean their own honor, to clean their own name. And they respond to situations in a self-focused manner to say, I am better than this. I can do better. I need this problem to go away. So David does what David does best. He tries to get his troops to do what the king desires. And so he calls Uriah back in and say, hey, buddy, old pal, how's the battle going? Uriah gives him a report and he says, you know what, Uriah? You've been gone for a long time. I bet you miss your wife. I bet you would love to go home right now and just spend some quality time with her. You see, the expectation that time was is that if you were a soldier, you were out to war, you stayed with the troops. You didn't go home until the fighting was done. Uriah knew that. David knew that. Uriah didn't go home. David tried again in his self-focused manner of trying to take matters in his own hands to clean up things. And 
try to get Uriah drunk and thinking, well, if he was drunk enough, he'd go home and violate his principles. Uriah still didn't go home. David is panicking. David is worried about his honor. He's worried about his status, his privilege, his power. He's worried about his own reputation. And so he writes a letter. He writes a letter to Joab, his faithful lieutenant. And says, Joab, we got a problem here with Uriah. Need you to send him up to the front lines and kill him. Send the troops back and just kill him. I'll explain the details later. He folds it. He puts his seal of it on it. Puts a bow around it and gives it to Uriah. Gives Uriah his own death sentence and makes Uriah carry it back to the front lines. We don't know if Uriah read it. We don't know if he opened it. We don't know if he even knew that David was up to no good. But Joab listened. And Joab agreed to it. Joab, the faithful lieutenant that was more worried about David's honor and David's status and making sure David had what he needed than he was about Uriah. You see, not only are there people in this world who are only focused on themselves by their own power, privilege, or status, or wealth, there are those in this world who are so thirsting for power, who are so thirsty for privilege, who are so thirsty for wealth or status, that they will do anything just to make the privileged and the powerful feel better. Because all they want to do is be aligned with those with power and give them what they need. So they'll clean their messes up for them. They'll make life easier for them. Or they will even excuse the bad behavior of those with power, privilege, wealth, or status. Oh, they didn't mean to do that. You were misunderstanding what was going on. You know, they can do whatever they want. They're, they got money. Those with power often need those who will do their bidding to keep their power in place. Joab did it and got Uriah killed. And not just Uriah, he got a whole troop and a whole regiment of people killed. Because Joab knew that if just Uriah was killed, things, people would start talking. And so he sent out a whole troop, a whole corps of, of soldiers to die. When our focus is only on ourselves and maintaining our power, our privilege, our status, the way things have always been, or when we're so busy worrying about those with power, we often have unintended consequences in the part process. And people often get hurt and abused in that process or mistreated or ignored. Uriah was killed as an unintended consequence of David's actions. Hundreds of soldiers were killed because of trying to clean up a mess. 
All because David's honor had to be maintained. There's often unintended consequences when all we care about is maintaining the way things have always been, our power, our privilege, our status, or our wealth. When we're only focused on ourselves and not others. At this point in the story, it's easy for us to think, well, David got off pretty well. Nothing happened to poor old David, the beautiful one, the king, the one who's killed the tens of thousands to Saul's thousands. Uriah's dead. Bathsheba went through the typical mourning period of seven days. And after that, he brought her in as another wife. He's already got Michal. He's already got Abigail. Now he's got Bathsheba. Soon they'll have a baby together. He's still the king of Israel. He still has Joab doing his business. The powerful often think they can get away with anything. The privileged often think they can get away with anything. We often think we can get away with anything. But note what the text says at the end. God was displeased with David. God still has a voice in all of this. Even when we may live as though God is not involved in our lives or doesn't care how we live or how we may think that everything we do is Christian simply because we pray or worship or give of our tithes and offering, God still has an answer for us. Walter Brueggemann says that all human conduct is answerable to God. And we often think of that only in the terms of future tense. That one day when we all see, see the Lord and we all get to heaven, that we will answer for our actions here on earth. But we are called to live as children of God today. We are called to live as children of God today. We're not answerable to God in some future tense. We're answerable to God today for how we live in this world, for how we live as children of God, for how we don't just say, I love God, but how our words, our actions, our very way of life lives for God. We are answerable today for how we use our power our privilege, our status, our wealth to make the world a better place for someone else. We are answerable today for how we use our power, our privilege, our wealth, our status, our gifts, our talents in honor of God. And if all we do in this world is use what we've been given and the privileges and the status and the wealth and the gifts and talents that we have, if all of our focus is only on ourself and what we get out of this world or what we take from this world or what we use of this world, then we have fallen short of the glory of God. 
and have become nothing like David in the story of Bathsheba, to be focused only upon ourselves and not on others. If we go through this world only thinking about what my life is like or what I am doing or maintaining the th- way things have always been, maintaining our status, our power, our control, if we're not spending this time on this earth empowering others to live for God, of making this world a better place for the poor and the forgotten, of not living for God in our actions, we will be answerable to that. All of us in this room have power, have privilege, have wealth, have status. All of us. If you woke up this morning with a car, a roof over your head, money in your bank account, a place to go to worship, and people who will respect you simply for who you are. You have power, you have privilege, you have status, and you have wealth. You may not think you have enough, you may not think you have anything compared to others, you may not think you have a voice. You've been blessed with things that others do not have. You've been blessed with resources that others may not ever achieve in this world. If we only use what we've been given to care for ourselves, we will never leave a lasting legacy for someone else. David used his power, his privilege, his status, his wealth to only take care of his own needs. To get from the world what he could get. God calls us to use what we have and what we've been given to live as children of God and make the world a better place. With your status, with your power, with your privilege, and with your wealth, what are you willing to do? And how will you use it? Will you be like David? Or will you live as a children of God and a child of God? May we all use what we have been given to make this world a better place. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. Help us to use what we have been given, what we have been blessed with, to what we have to make a difference in the lives of others, to share your love and your story. Through Christ we pray, amen.